right, good morning everybody. Thank you for visiting this morning here at the Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on such a great salvation, primarily talking about the benefits of salvation, and this morning we'll be talking again about wholeness and light of spirit, soul, and body. I'll explain more of that in just a few moments. This is actually our ninth hour uh, uh, talking about spirit, soul, and body, and so actually our eighth hour, I think I got that wrong. Uh, got my weeks mixed, mixed up. But uh, anyway, and happy Palm Sunday, by the way. And so, uh, to, uh, uh, anyway. But just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org and as well as our YouTube channel, channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And we also want to say thank you to all those who have uh, supported us with their tithes and their offerings, and we appreciate that. In case you're wondering how to do so, simply go to our website at lighthousesexualship.org. And you can go to our gift page and give from anywhere around the world. If you'd rather send us a check, you can simply make your checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And on the bottom of every page on our website is our mailing address. And we want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us at this time. As finances have become uh, uh, a little tight in recent in recent weeks and days, and so we, we appreciate that all the more so we can keep these uh, services going for you and uh, for all of us and whatnot. So anyway, uh, we appreciate that. Uh, so without further ado, I'm just going to go ahead and jump right into our message this morning. Uh, we, Like I said, we've been talking about such a great salvation. This is our eighth hour, and uh, and I have so many series within the series of uh, such a great salvation. Salvation is the main thing. It's a, I mean, it's the cornerstone of what we are. I mean, we're... Uh, we're believers. We're saved. We call ourselves, you know, we are saved. We're not lost. We are, we are born again. And there's a lot to talk about this great salvation of ours. And we've been talking about, we talked about our first hour, we just kind of defined what salvation is. We didn't, we didn't do an exhaustive study on this, but we kind of defined it as a gift. It's not something you earn, it's a gift. And we talked about the balance of, of grace and faith. It wasn't a totally... It wasn't a total message on grace and faith. Uh, that could be a whole nine hours just by, by that itself. But uh, we are saved by grace through faith. And we, and we need the balance of that. It's not grace alone and it's not faith alone. It's both. Okay? You have to put faith in something. And that, that faith is not you and your performance. Your faith is in His grace. At the same point in time, uh, it's not just grace alone. God's already provided salvation for the whole world. But we need to trust it. We need to believe in it. We need to receive it. Uh, and we receive it and believe it by faith. And then we spent uh, uh, my, one of my favorite hours talking about the purpose of salvation. Many people think that the purpose of salvation is going to heaven and not going to hell. No, that's a major benefit. You definitely want to go to heaven. You definitely don't want to go to hell. But that's a benefit of salvation. That's not the purpose of salvation. The purpose of salvation is the relationship with God. Even if there was no heaven and there was no hell, and there are, but Jesus still would have died on the cross, so we can have a relationship with God. And so, relation, and one of the main things about heaven is that God is there. And one of the worst things about hell is that God is not there. And so, uh, it's not the fire and torment that we're, we're, that's going to be the worst part. The worst part, God does not exist there. And the best thing about heaven is not the, the mansion and the, and the eternity. Excuse <coughs> me. The new heaven and the new earth, the streets of gold. The best thing about heaven is God is there. We can see him face to face. So the purpose of salvation is a relationship with God. Then we spent two weeks talking about the necessities of salvation. And how salvation is necessary. 
And so and we, we, we spent time on that. And then we have spent now, I can't remember how many weeks now, talking about the benefits of salvation. We had an introduction to this uh, whole benefits. And then we are, we are actually uh, three mini-series within this umbrella of the benefits of our salvation. And the first one is that we're talking about the, the benefits of salvation in regards to wholeness. This is very similar to a teaching that most of you are familiar with, spirit, soul, and body. And so we are talking about that. Excuse <coughs> me. In the in the under umbrella of the benefits of salvation, we're talking about wholeness. And then once we're done with this topic, we're going to be talking about healing. And we'll be talking about healing as it kind of falls underneath the benefits of our salvation. And then we'll talk about prosperity. Now, prosperity is a is a, a topic that brings a lot of contention with some people. They don't like this word, and they don't like it when it's preached and taught. And you know. It's a benefit of our salvation. The, the, we already defined in our first hour that salvation, by definition, is wholeness, healing, deliverance, and prosperity, just by definition in both the Hebrew and Greek. And I understand, and I totally agree, that there's been abuses to the prosperity teaching through, through, the, through, the, through the ages. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because people have misused uh, this and mistaught it, don't despise the salvation of God that includes prosperity. We'll be talking more about that later. But right now, again, we're talking about the benefits of salvation. And more specifically, right now, we're talking about wholeness. So let's go again to 1 Thessalonians 5.23, which is our key verse for this particular uh, segment of our teaching. And it says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you can see even from this verse where we get the word wholeness, but also uh, the word spirit and soul and body. But again, the word wholeness is, a, is the word salvation in both the Greek and Hebrew. And so it's the same Greek word as is used many times throughout the Greek and Hebrew regarding salvation. Uh, Yeshua in the Hebrew and Soteria in the Greek. So, you know, we, we talked about this, but how we were a broken people because of sin. Because of what Adam did and also what we've done. Okay? We were broken people and we were broken by sin. Adam introduced sin into the world and we have all sinned ourselves. So we can't put all the blame on Adam. We have all done the same offense. The God reversed this, this brokenness. And more specifically, he, he reversed this broken relationship with God. We were alienated from the life of God. Jesus came to fix us and that relationship and Jesus came to make us whole. Jesus made us whole, spirit, soul, and body. You know, Andrew Womack uh, and Russell Perdue and Wayne Sheriff others have a teaching on spirit, soul, and body that I embrace. We have taught it many times in our Bible studies in the years uh, that we've been doing this. Um, so this is a very important topic that we talked about. And I'm incorporating spirit, soul, and body from a different angle than uh, uh, we have taught before. Uh, under the umbrella of talking about our salvation and talking about holiness, okay? Jesus came to make our spirit whole. That's the first thing that took place, and we're going to be getting into that more deeply this, this morning. Jesus came to make our soul whole. We'll be talking about deeply about that in the few weeks to, in, the, in the weeks to come. But in our soul is our our mind and our will and our emotions. So, God, so let me back up again. Jesus came not only to make our soul whole; He came to make our mind whole. Many of our thoughts, because of sin, because of the world that we live in, uh, were just corrupt, they're broken, they're wrong, they're misconstrued. And Jesus came to make the way we think, our mind, 
hole. He came to make our wheel hole. Some of our wheels were, I mean, they were just, they were just, we were on the wrong track. You know, we were on the wrong course, and God came to make our will and our desires whole. He came to make our emotions whole. Some of our emotions are way out of whack. Some of us have anger issues. Some of us have depression issues. Some of us have many other emotions that need to be in fact. And Jesus came to make our soul, our inner man, whole. And Jesus also came to make our body whole. And we'll get into a lot more detail, especially when we talk about healing. But healing can also be a physical thing as far as the body is concerned. But healing can also be a thing about our emotions. People need to be healed from depression and all kinds of other uh, things that have uh, go deeper than just the body. And we'll talk more about that as we get to the body portion of this study as well as when we get into healing. Okay? And even prosperity. Prosperity has a lot to do with healing, healing too. You know, we want to be prosperous in our minds and our thoughts. We want to be prosperous in our relationships. We want to be prosperous in our finances. And when people think of prosperity, we think that it's only about finances. That is one aspect in, of, of prosperity, and it's not excluded, excuse me, from, from that. But at the same point in time, uh, prosperity is talking about the whole thing. I want everything in my life to be prosperous. My business, my, my family, my relationships, my body, um, uh, and many things in my life, I want them to be prosperous, okay? And we talked about this a few weeks ago from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us, plural, make man in our image according to our likeness. That's all plural. God talking about himself. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created man, man, man male and female. I keep saying this every week in case you got, the, got the, are confused about that. God made two, two, two genes, male and two genders, male and female, and he created them. Anything different than that, you... Uh, your soul needs to be healed. Okay? And so we are created in the image of God. And we are created in the likeness of God. We don't serve three gods. We serve a triune God. Okay? And we too are a triune being. Okay? We don't, we're not multiple people. We are one person. And we serve one God. And our triune God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And our own divine design, because we're made in His likeness and made in His image, we are also spirit, soul, and body. We have a triunity about us, uh, and, and God wanted to make all of us whole, our spirit, soul, and body. And we also talk about this, because I keep bringing this out. Some scriptures talk about only two parts of us, instead of three parts, the inward man and the outward man. And our key verse for this was 2 Corinthians 4.16. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Our inward man is a combination of our spirits and soul, also known as the heart. <coughs> I'm not going to go into it again this week, but there's only one thing that can separate the spirit and the soul, and that is the Word of God. That's the only one that's the only thing that can distinguish the two. The world can't distinguish the two because they're not in the Word of God. They don't value the Word of God, and so the Word of God it does not have that effect in their lives. But the only way, and the only way we can see the Bible also says that the Word of God is like a mirror. A mirror is a reflective device, and the only way you can see your spirit is through the Word of God. Okay, the only way you can see one another spirit in that in that in that regard is through the Word of God. And Jesus said that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So that's plural. We are. If you are in Christ, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And we can spend a lot more time on talking about that. So we talk, when we're talking about spiritual and body, in brief, we talk about how 
The Spirit is, is saved now by faith. It's not something that's going to happen. <coughs> excuse me. If you are a believer, you are saved now. <coughs> excuse me. You are saved right now. You are saved by faith. And one of the key verses that we use for this is from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And it says, For by grace you have been saved, that's past tense, through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. Okay? So, when you believe in His grace, when you believe the gospel, His grace, you are saved by faith. It's not something that's futuristic. It's something that already took place and has taken place. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your spirit man is saved. Okay, we're going to get a little more deeper with that this morning. Okay, when you accept Jesus as your spirit man, is made whole. That's another way of saying it. And then we briefly talked about soul, and we're going to get more deeper with this in the weeks to come. But your soul is being saved by the Word of God. And one of our key verses for this is from James chapter 1, verse 21. And therefore I lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Okay? God's word is changing my mind. God's word is changing my will. God's word is changing my emotions. Okay? God's word is saving me. It's saving my mind. It's saving my thoughts. I'm losing my thoughts, and I'm receiving his thoughts. And I can say this about every element about our soul. I'm losing my will, and I'm giving his will. I'm losing my emotions, and I'm giving his emotions, which is love, joy, love, love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, meekness, and against us to say there is no law. My soul is in the process of being saved. My soul is being in the process of being made whole. Okay? Because I know I still have some thought issues. I know I still have some emotional issues. It's, it's not perfect. Okay? My spirit man is perfect, but my soul is in the process, and the process is the Word of God. And how, how, how is it done? It is done by the washing of water by the Word. Okay? My mind is being renewed. My mind, and the word renewed in the Greek, it's the same connotation of being renovated. My mind is being renovated. It's a process. Okay? My emotions are being renewed. My thoughts are being renewed. My soul as a unit is being renewed. And then we talk briefly about our body, and we'll get more deeply with this later as well. It, our body is saved by hope in the resurrection, and that's future tense. See, and one of our key, key verses for this has been Romans 8, 23 to 24. <coughs> Beginning with verse 20, that was, For the creation was subjected to vitality, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. What's hope? The, the, the positive expectation of good. Okay, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation grows and labors with birth pains together until now. Verse 23, 24, not only that, but we also have the first fruits, or we talked about more about that, of the Spirit. Even when we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting. We already have the first fruits. That's our spirit man being born again. But we're still eagerly waiting for the adoption of the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. We're saved. We have the first fruits. We have the down payment, so to speak. But uh, we are eagerly waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Okay? In other words, our bodies are precious. 
but our bodies have not been redeemed. Our spirit man has been redeemed, and we'll get into this a little deeper this morning. But our spirits have been, and our spirits have been sealed. And we'll get that this morning. And our spirits have been born again. And our spirits have been saved. Our spirits have been made whole. But our, and our minds are being made whole by the word of God. But our body is made whole by the hope and the resurrection. Okay, and we're going to get more about the body and more about the mind in future weeks. Ephesians 2, 1 to 2 says, And he made him he made alive who were dead in their trespasses of sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the air, power of the air, the spirit of who now works in the sons of the disobedience. Before we accepted Jesus, we were dead. Not physically speaking, not soul speaking, spiritually speaking, we were dead. Okay? This is why Jesus came to save us. Okay? This is why Jesus came to make us whole. And that is what's wrong with man today. This is what is wrong with man today. And he can't fix himself. Man cannot fix his spirit. He might do, try different things to fix his body. He might try to do different things to try to fix his soul. Okay? And I'm not saying that's working perfectly, but he can at least attempt. But he can't even touch the spirit. He can't, he can't touch it. It's spiritual. It's not natural. And so most people believe we are only soul and body. Most people don't have a revelation that we are spirit, soul, and body. And most people believe that they, if they can fix your soul, the, the, so, excuse me, let me slow down. Most people believe that they can, if they can fix your soul, body, actions, etc., uh, that they can change their lives. And they're doing it in their own means, or they're doing it in their own efforts. Okay? And people. People are spending lots of money to do this and to see professionals, quote unquote, of professionals who try to fix their body and their soul. Okay? And so most people are constantly working on philosophy, or in psychology. Even in the Christian circles, people are working on the healing of the soul. Okay? But the problem is not with man, not with the soul. The problem with man is his spirit is dead if he had not received Jesus. And that spirit man is feeding the soul. We talked at length about this in previous weeks. We're not going to go into all that right now. But man can't fix his spirit. That's the source to fixing the soul and the body. Psychology can't fix your spirit. Philosophy can't fix your spirit. Just repenting which means, uh, uh, means to change your mind. That's what the word means in the Greek. Won't. I believe in repentance, and we teach repentance. Okay? Um, I thought I had it on here. I might have it later in my notes this morning. But it's just goodness that leads us to repentance. Okay? It leads us to repentance. But repenting alone, just changing your mind, and just changing the direction of your life, going up doing a 180, doesn't fix you. <coughs> doesn't fix your spirit. Just changing your actions doesn't change your spirit. Okay? Just changing, saying the same thing, just changing your actions won't fix your spirit. You have to get a new spirit. You have to be born again. Without Christ, our spirit is dead. You go to any cemetery and you try to do CPR on anybody that you choose, and it's not going to happen. It needs a new spirit. Am I making sense? Okay? 
Without Christ, our spirit is separated from the life of God. And we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. And Jesus came to save us. Jesus came to make us whole. Jesus came to make us alive again. We're getting ready to celebrate Easter next week. We're celebrating his resurrection, but we live because he lives. Okay? And then we spend a lot of time in John 3, because Jesus has some very good things to say to Nicodemus, who has some very good questions. Okay? We give Nicodemus a hard time, and, and rightfully so to a certain degree. But, you know, uh, we need some of us, we need to be, see that we are just, we're just as guilty as Nicodemus in some respect. Okay? In many ways, he was a coward coming in by night asking Jesus questions, but, you know, he, he did make the effort. Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We spent a lot of time the last couple weeks talking about what is born of the flesh is flesh, what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Monkeys produce monkeys. Ladybugs produce ladybugs. And so on and so on. Apples produce apples. Humans produce humans. Male and female, those are the only two kind that God put in the seed of man. Okay? And so, uh, you, don't, you don't get monkeys giving birth to giraffes. You know, you don't get ladybugs giving birth to uh, bumblebees. You know, it doesn't work that way. Okay? And what, whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Your spirit is born of God. Your spirit is born of the same seed of Christ. <coughs> I'll get into it a little bit later. <coughs> but we are born again not of corruptible seed through Adam, but in corruptible seed by the, the word of God. Okay? Your spirit has the same nature of God. Because every apple seed has the same nature of an apple tree and an apple seed that every other apple seed has. Every seed, as in a monkey, has the same attributes of a monkey that every other monkey has. Okay? I understand they have different personalities and, 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 and different dogs might have different spots and different colors and variations, but the seed is the same. The nature is the same. You will not find any feline nature inside of a dog seed. Okay? You won't find any nature of an orange inside an apple seed. Okay? And we are born again. We are born of God. We are the children of God. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. <clears throat> we were created in his likeness. We were created in his image, and we've been born again. We've been born of God, and in this seed that we have been born of, born again is the nature of God. Okay? And your spirit, not your flesh, not your soul, not your body, looks just like Jesus. Okay? I look just like my mom and dad in many ways, and my brother. Okay, we all have our different personalities, we have all, all have our different aspects, but you can tell, and, and if you can't see it on the surface, our DNA will tell you that we are related. Okay? I mean, even if you change the body parts with gender, the DNA still shows that you're a male or a female. You can't change that. Okay? You can try to change the plumbing and different things, but you can't change that. And say, I, I gotta get off that horse. 
Your spirit is complete. Your spirit is whole. If you believe on Jesus and made him your Lord and Savior, your spirit is whole. Your spirit is righteous and your spirit is holy. Some people have a hard time with me saying that. And I can bring out a lot of scriptures out that we have. It says in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 20 to 24, that you have not so learned Christ, but the truth is in Christ. What truth? That you put off the old man and the spirit of your mind you put on the new man who is created according to God in true righteousness and true holiness. True righteousness and true holiness are both nouns in that verse, and they're not something you do, they're something that you put on. You, we put on Jesus Christ. We put on the new man who's created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Holiness and righteousness is not what you do. It's who you are in Christ. It's who you put on. Okay? It's a noun, not a verb. And some things I didn't learn in school is that a verb is an action. And a noun is a person, place, or thing. Okay? I don't know. My wife, Sherry, is very good at creating my grammar and stuff. I, I have a hard time with run-on sentences and, and, and commas and whatnot. But I do know what a noun is. I do know what a verb is. Sometimes I get messed up on the adverb and the adjective and get them, I get them crossed sometimes in prepositions and whatnot. But I do know what a noun and a verb are. And righteousness and holiness. Do we live righteously? Yes. Do we live holy? Is there a verb aspect to that? Yes. But an apple doesn't live to, to try to be an apple to become an apple. It, it, is an, it acts like an apple because it is an apple. A monkey doesn't try to do monkey things to become a monkey. It is a monkey. And some of us need to stop monkeying around and become something we're not. Okay? You don't become holy and righteous to become holy. You don't live righteous and holy to become holy and righteous. You live righteous and holy because you are, by nature. Okay? You know, living holy and righteous doesn't make you holy and righteous any more than going to McDonald's makes me a hamburger. It doesn't work that way. Okay, I gotta get off that high horse. But John three seven going on. Jesus going on says, "Do not marvel, talking to Nicodemus still, that I said to you, you must be born again. We shouldn't we shouldn't be marveling at this." He goes on to say, "The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit." This is where we picked up last ended last week, and this is where I'm going to pick up again this week. You cannot see the wind. Yet you can see, you can only see the manifestations of the wind. We've had some windy days this last year here in Camarillo, California. You can't see the wind, but you sure can feel that thing. And you can see other manifestations because there's things flying around. And we have a puppy that likes chasing me and it moves. You can tell she's been busy. Okay, Adam, mankind, was born by the breath, the wind of God. When God breathed into his nostrils and he became a living soul. He became a living being. The Bible says that the word of God is God breathed. It's inspired. It's God breathed. And we are being born again by the God breathed word of God. All scripture is God breathed. Inspired by God. It's possible for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training, righteousness. But we also know we're born again, not by a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed, by the Word of God. Putting those two verses together, 2 Timothy 3.16, with 1 Peter 1.23, we are born again by the breath of God, His Word. Spiritually speaking. 
And I just quoted this, having been born again, not a crustable seed, but a very crustable seed through the word of God, that is God breathed, and which lives and abides forever. When the wind blows into our inner man that was dead, it becomes quickened. It becomes it becomes made alive. Okay? Again, our spirit, we spent a lot of time talking about this the previous week, so I don't have time to teach all that again. But we were dead, spiritually speaking. God told Adam when he ate of <coughs> the forbidden fruit that he would surely die. And yet he lived 930 years. He didn't die physically, he died spiritually. He said, in the very moment that you eat of it, you will die. And he didn't die physically in that moment, but something died. And we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and he made us alive when we believe the gospel. Okay? When that which was dead is made alive, there will be some manifestations. When someone becomes dead, their body stops manifesting some many things. I'm not saying there's not still some reaction on an autopsy table at times. And those are normally abnormal. Okay? I'm just talking, they're not breathing anymore. There's not a heartbeat anymore. And there's other functions that, that, that are not, not moving anymore. And there's a huge difference between someone who is dead and someone who is alive. Okay? You cannot see the wind. You can only see the manifestations of the wind. And there are manifestations of someone who's alive versus someone who is dead. Okay? And there are manifestations of someone who is breathing versus someone who is not breathing. This is just very basic stuff. So I hope I don't have to go too much deeper with that. Okay? But something happens when the wind blows. Yet, you cannot see the wind itself. Something happens when you become born again of the Spirit of God. Yet, you cannot see the Spirit. You can't see your Spirit that's dead. You can't see your Spirit that's made alive. You can't see the wind. Something happens when the wind blows. And something happens when you become born again. And you can't see it because it's spiritual and because it's like the wind. You cannot see your spirit. And you cannot see the wind. That's why Jesus is making comparison here with the wind. Because you can't see it, but you can see the manifestations of the wind. Okay? You can't see it, but you can see the manifestations. There is a witness that it's windy. And there's a witness that the Spirit of God is here. When you put faith in His grace and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, the wind of God, the Spirit of God blows into your inward man that was dead and trespasses and sins and now becomes quickened, made alive, and becomes born again. And when your spirit that was dead becomes made alive, there will be some manifestations. And we call that the fruit of the Spirit. We call that the gifts of the Spirit. We call that other things as well. You can't see the wind, but you know when it's present. And when someone is born again, you can witness the presence of God. And if you can't win the presence, witness the presence of God if someone who says they're born again, they need some wind. They need some breath of God. 
They need the Spirit of God to breathe in their life. Because something's missing. You don't, when it's windy, you don't have to ask, is it windy day? No. You, you can't see the wind, but you can definitely feel and see the manifestation. Something supernatural happens when we become born again. You can't see it with the natural eyes, but you can know it's there. It, when someone is truly born again, you shouldn't have to question, you shouldn't even have to look hard to see if that person's born again. It should be so evident, like it is evident if it's windy or not. Am I making sense? Something needs to change. I'm not saying that we're not still in the process with our soul, which we, well, we, talk, we have mentioned and we'll be going deeper, but something has changed from the inside out. You can't see it with your natural eyes, but there is clear evidence the wind is here. There is clear, should be clear evidence that so-and-so is born again. If nothing is changing, we need the wind to blow. Are you hearing me? Am I making sense? We need that connection with the Spirit of God. Because without the connection of the Spirit of God, there is no wind. There is no life. It's just us blowing hot air. And our hot air does not measure up to the Spirit of God blowing in us. Because whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of spirit is spirit. And what's coming out of you, flesh or spirit? Okay? And so you can know by the manifestations. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. He goes on to say, Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? I want to go off on this just for a minute. That, you know, Nicodemus, how can these things be? Jesus is saying the very basics of some things here. And he says, You're a teacher. In Israel, and you don't even know these things. In other words, are you not a teacher and don't know these things? We already mentioned that. Are you not a student of the Word? Nicodemus was a teacher, student of the Word of God, and he did not know these things. And Jesus was, was questioning that. This is Jesus talking. I'm not, this, this is not Jesus just getting in the flesh here. He's making a point. Are we not God's covenant people? And we don't know these things? If there's anyone who should have known these things, it's Nicodemus, the teacher for Israel, who studied the Word of God. See, the Old Testament itself, and that's all they had at that time. Nicodemus didn't have the New Testament. It wasn't written yet. Okay, the, the church wasn't even born yet. Okay, the Old Testament itself prophesied of this new birth that we're talking about. So if you love the Old Testament... Well, let's get into some Old Testament. We're not gonna, I, can't, I don't have all day to, to spend time on all of this, but the Old Testament prophesied this new covenant, this new birth that we are talking about. Jesus himself says, the scriptures, they testify of me. They testify of Jesus. Christianity is not you turning over a new leaf. Okay? Christianity is accepting Jesus as Lord, and Christianity is Jesus Moving in and breaking the entire yard. <laughs> Salvation is radical. Salvation is supernatural. And the Old Testament prophets spoke of this. This is not just the New Testament. This is a, we are in the Federal Covenant. 
And later this year, I'm preparing to talk about this covenant in more detail. That's my next teaching series, whenever we're done with this one, talk about salvation. The Old Testament prophets spoke of this, especially Ezekiel, of any of the prophets. Also, Jeremiah, I don't know if I have time to go in here today, but if you read Jeremiah, especially 31, chapters 31 to 34, you'll see that the Old Testament prophets spoke of this. Isaiah spoke of this, some minor prophets spoke of this, Daniel spoke of this. They spoke of the faith in the Messiah. They spoke of God bringing us into our promised land. We'll spend more time on that uh, in weeks to come. Okay? But we'll spend a little more time on it this morning as well. The Old Testament is a type and shadow of something to come. That was evident in the Old Testament, and that's evident in the New Testament. It was a mystery in the Old Testament. It is revealed in the New Testament. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The promised land he has brought us into is called the kingdom of God. The old promised land that we see in the, in the, in the, in the Torah, through the Exodus and whatnot, through Jer Joshua, is all a foreshadow. It's something that really happens. And it's still in effect today in Israel, natural Israel, physical Israel, but it's also a type and shadow of the kingdom of God that he was bringing into us. The kingdom of God flows with milk and honey. I don't have time to go into all the detail right now, but the kingdom of God is here. And the kingdom of God is within us. Okay? And Jesus answered and said to him, going back to Nicodemus, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He goes on in verse 5, if you don't, unless you're born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You're like, Dave, you're bringing the kingdom of God out of context. No, it's exactly what Jesus said. Jesus is talking about being born again, and being born again enters, not only enters the kingdom of God, but you can see it. Unless you're born again, you can't even see it, let alone enter it. You are born Again, into a kingdom. And if this doesn't get you excited, I'm sorry, but your wood is wet. Only when you are born again can you see the kingdom of God. And only when you're born again can you enter this kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. We won't have to see a physical kingdom coming on the earth. Okay? That's prophesied in Daniel and, and, and Revelation. But... There's a spiritual kingdom that's here now. And only when you are born again can you enter this kingdom. See, the kingdom of God is within you. But we have to think spiritual first, not just natural. We're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Now going off on just a more moment, but I'm going to bring this back into my teaching in just a few moments. But in Hebrews... Chapter 8 and 10. I don't have time to read all this context right now. The writer of Hebrews talks about the, a covenant with the house of Israel and with Judah. I'm going to bring that back into the conversation in just a few moments. Am I making sense? Okay, just bear with me for a moment. Also in, the, in Hebrews 8 and 10, he talks about, all, not, just, not just in Hebrews 8 and 10, but also in 2 Corinthians, we talk about how all the promises of God are yes and amen by us. 
And we're also talking about how the gospel in Romans 1.16 is the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. I'm hoping I'm making sense with this, this segment of it. But my point is, both the Old Testament and New Testament are talking about a covenant that God has made with Israel. Both natural Israel and spiritual Israel. All, well, about how all the promises of God are yes and they are amen in him, Christ, but by us. And how the gospel is the power of God's salvation to the Jew first and to the Gentile. God has made salvation available to both Jew and Gentiles alike. He offered it to them first. And he's offered it to us as, as well. There's a covenant that God has made with the house of Israel. And in Romans chapter 9 and other places we talk about how there's not only a natural Israel, there's also a spiritual Israel. And I don't have time to go into detail with what I'm trying to convey here, so I'm hoping I'm making sense with some of this. But I'm going to tie some of this into what I want to say in just a few moments, okay? Again, going back to, to Nicodemus, Jesus says, Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. And he also says at the end of this conversation, he says, Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? Remember I said that how the Old Testament spoke of this, especially in Ezekiel. We're going to look at some verses from Ezekiel. And how, how Ezekiel, God through Ezekiel prophesied of this Messiah, this new birth, being born of the Spirit. Okay? Ezekiel 36, 24 says, I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. There's a promise man again. And this all, everything you see here, this all happened at Pentecost. Did they not all come from all countries and all nations and gather together? Okay? And I can give you some other examples of this too, not just Pentecost. Going on, verse 25, he says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and all your idols. We need to be cleansed by God. I'll get into that in just a minute. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take away the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and will keep my judgment and do them. God changes us from the inside, not through pressure and guilt. In other words, God does not pressure you with condemnation to get you to, to live a good, good life or a righteous life or a holy life. God does not pressure you with guilt and shame and religion. God does not pressure you with pure pressure and fear. I'm not saying there's not a conviction of the Holy Spirit, but it's not pressure. <clears throat> First John chapter 4, fear brings torment. God does not torment you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God does not pressure you. God was not pressuring you. Jesus was not pressuring Nicodemus. We preach the word of God boldly, but we don't pressure people into doing this. No, it, it says, Are ye not despised the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads us to repentance? I'm all about repentance. I'm all about changing our life and changing our mind. But it's through the goodness of God, not pressure. He's made salvation made to everyone. And we're here preaching good news. We're not here preaching bad news. We're offering good news. You can take it or leave it. You can reject it or receive it. 
There's no pressure. But the choice is yours. If it wasn't a choice, if it wasn't a free will choice, if, if it was done by pressure, that was not love. That's not how God works. God comes into your spirit, according to Ezekiel 36, and then he says, from the inside, he says, I will. From Ezekiel 36, 24 to 28, we see this. God says, I will take you from the nations. And wherever you are, wherever you have, have, wherever life has taken you, how far, how, no matter how far you are away from me, I will gather you from the nations. And I will sprinkle clean water on you. And I will cleanse you from all filthiness. God's doing the cleansing. God's doing the watering. God's doing the gathering. He says, I will give you a new heart. And I will give you a new spirit within you. I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes. And I will be your God. God's doing the work. Not us. And this whole new spirit is Old Testament prophesying of the New Testament. This born again experience. This being born of the spirit. And having a new spirit. Having his spirit. Being born of God is not just a New Testament concept. It's an Old Testament prophecy. Okay? He goes on. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to you, fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. See, the Old Testament prophet spoke this of Ezekiel. We see this in Ezekiel 36, 24 to 28. I don't have time. I'm going to show you a few more examples, but I don't have time to go to you because you'll have to write these down and go on your own. But in Ezekiel 11, 18 and 19, you can see that he's talking again about the born-again spirit. He does this again in Ezekiel 18, verse 31. He talks about the born-again spirit. And in Ezekiel 37, we'll spend a little bit of time here. We won't read the reference, but we'll talk about it. In Ezekiel 37, we have the Valley Dry Bones. And these are not the only verses in the Old Testament. These are not the only verses in Ezekiel. Just the ones I'm, some ones I'm highlighting right here, okay? Let's look at the Valley Dry Bones real quick. Ezekiel 37. It was covered with dead dry bones. And... God asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel had the right answer. Only you know, God. There's some dead situations in my life at times. And I'm like, I don't see any way that these could ever live. They're, just, they're not just dead or dry. And God knows that this can be resurrected. It looks like a hopeless situation. And God said, prophesy to these bones. For they're the house of Israel. We already heard that in Hebrews chapter 8 and 10. We talked about the New Covenant. Okay? I made reference to it. You have to read all those verses. Again, there's my notes. Hebrews 8 and 10. The house of Israel. He says, speak to the wind. Did we not just talk about it? He says, and he goes on, he goes on to speak to the wind again. Because he spoke to the wind and they came together, bone to bone. But there was still no life in them. And God says, speak to the wind again. And breathe. And they came alive. Which I believe is what we see in the first resurrection. See, 
You have to experience the first resurrection in your spirit. So you can experience the second resurrection of your body at the period of Jesus. Because if you're not born again, you're not going to have a resurrected body at the period of Jesus. But you need to have the first resurrection. That your spirit that is dead is made alive. That's called resurrection. Okay? And everyone will be raised from the dead when Jesus comes again. But some for judgment and some for rewards. But everyone will experience a, a, a resurrection. But if you don't already have the first resurrection, you will not experience the second resurrection. Okay? Because those who are not alive, this will be the first and last resurrection of theirs. And they'll be raised again for judgment. Everyone will be raised from the dead. But some will be raised to die. Some will be raised to live forever with him. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says this, and I'm switching gears here. Okay. For the love of God constrained us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which should live should they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him for which died for them and rose again. Verse 16. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth now we have known him no more. Verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. There's a lot in this. I'm going to spend more time on verses 14 through 16 uh, in later weeks. But right now I want to capture it in on verse 17 and 18 this morning. Okay. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And then all things are of God, which hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Again, some key phrases here. If we're in Christ, we're born again. We are a new creation. All things have become new. If we don't understand spiritual body, this can be very confusing, especially when you get to verse 18, it says all things are of God. All things are of God. I don't know about you, but through the years, I've wrestled with that verse. Because how do we reconcile all things are of God? Because in my reality, I, I don't really like that phrase, not all things are, happen of God. Because I don't know about you, but all things are not of God in my thoughts at times. Okay? Since... We believe, all of us have had God thoughts, if we're believers, but we've also had our own thoughts. And like Peter, and I'm not judging you, Peter was this way too, we even had devil thoughts. Devil has spoken inspired things, influenced us, and other thoughts as well. So how do we reconcile all things are of God? Because I know just in my thoughts alone, they're not all have been of God, even since I believed. I know my emotions are not always of God. Fear has been an emotion. Grief has been an emotion. It's a natural emotion, but that I don't I don't believe that's of God. It's part of the healing process sometimes, but I believe there's a better way. Let's <coughs> say point that there's been emotions and there's been anger. There's been other things. These are just some examples. 
So how do we reconcile all things that are God if we are believers and we are a new Christian faith? How do we reconcile that verse? Am I making sense? Do I have a legitimate question? Okay. Am I the only one who's thought that? Not everything is of God, and yet the scripture says all things are of God. In context that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And yet, there is part of it that is a new creation. Your spirit is born again. Your spirit is a new creation. All things have become new in your spirit. I don't know about you, but since I became a born again, my body didn't change much. Not for the good, anyway. And some of my soul, I made progress in some areas. In some areas, you know, this is still a work in process. And even where I made process, sometimes I felt like I'm two steps forward and one step backwards. Where every once in a while, I feel like I'm one step forward and two steps backwards. Okay? And yet, we have scriptures that says all things are of God who have reconciled. Who has? He's, it's already done. He's reconciled us to himself by Christ Jesus and has given to us a ministry of reconciliation. There is nothing that is that is there is nothing that is not of God that can get into my spirit. We're going to get into this talk about how our spirit is sealed with the seal of His promise. But not, not only can nothing that's not of God can get in there. It can get into my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions. It can get into my body. It can get into my thoughts. It can get into my personality. But it can't get into my spirit. And now we can knock it in, but there's nothing that's not of God that can come out. That's not of God. Because it's born of God. An apple tree can't produce oranges. It can't come out. Because it's not in there. In that seed, in that it's apple seed. And the only thing that can come out is anything that has to do with an apple tree and apples. We're born again, not a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed by the word of God. And there's nothing that's not incorruptible that can come out. Why? Because it's not in the sea. Okay? If you are a new creation, if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord, you are a whole new creation. You know, I don't think we understand this phrase. We're a whole new species. We're not of Adam. No disrespect to our parents, but we're not born again of our parents. We're born again of God. Of incredible seed. Ephesians 1, uh, 1.13 says, In him you are also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having been believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14 says, Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. There's some big words here and big phrases. Let me go back and read this again. In him, he's talking about those who have been born again. You are trusted. We are saved by grace through faith. We trust in that. After you heard the word of truth, faith comes by hearing the word of God. So you can even have faith in his grace until you heard the word of God. The gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, we're believers. How do we get saved? We believed in his grace. And when we believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What's sealing? We'll get into this, but... My wife makes jam, different kinds of jam, apricot jam, strawberry jam, apple cinnamon jam. But she has a process that she seals that. They are preserved. Why are 
and preserve. So air and bacteria and other things that would cause it to, to uh, perish can't get in there. Nothing can get in there and nothing can get out of it until you pop that seal. When you, you know, I don't know about you, but you get a jar or something from, from uh, the store, pickles per se, I'm not a pickle guy, but you pop that lid and you hit that pop. What happened? You just broke the seal. My favorite little Pillsbury little uh, biscuits. When we, when we take the wrapper off and it just drives my wife crazy, you know, and it just pops. It opens the seal. Nothing can get in and nothing can get out to that seal it's pop. It's preserving what's inside. Okay? We are sealed with the Holy Spirit promise. You know, back in the days, and probably in some, some country today, the king would put a signet ring on a letter, and unless you, if you remove that seal, and only, you better be the only person, whoever that was addressed to, it has the right to open that seal. Because that is a capital offense otherwise. And so, um, but anyway, I'm trying to, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit promise. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the perfect possession? We're already in him. We're already believers. We're already sealed. But we are waiting for the person's possession. How can we be saved and be waiting for something at the same time? See, the purchased possession is your body. Our bodies are purchased. But our bodies have not been redeemed. Your body will be redeemed at the appearing of Jesus in his kingdom, his physical kingdom. But in Christ, we are redeemed. Well, are we redeemed or are we not redeemed? See, if you don't understand spirit's own body, this type of teaching and other scripture, it'll be very, it's very confusing. And some people are confused and just throw the, baby, the Bible out because it's just too confusing. So if we are redeemed, how? Our spirits have been redeemed. Our spirits have been sealed. Okay? It says in 2 Corinthians 1.21, Now he who has established us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. Verse 22 says, who also has sealed us, there's a second witness of Scripture, and given us a spirit in our heart as a guarantee. That's twice now Paul has mentioned this. Being born again, you get the Spirit of Christ. And the Spirit of God is the guarantee that we belong to God now. The Spirit of God is the down payment that we belong to God. It's the seal. It's the first fruits. It's the incorruptible seed, the DNA, that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You can't see it like the wind, but it is a guarantee. God sees it. God knows it. And it's a seal. Okay? Go on a second. I want to read 2 Corinthians 1, 21, 22 in the New Living Translation. It is God who enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. I love that. He has identified us as his own. By placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment 
that guarantees everything he has promised us. Being born again is your first installment. Being born again is our guarantee that God will keep all of his promises to us. Are you hearing this? Let's go to Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. There's a third witness. For the day of redemption. Redemption of what? What's coming in that day? The redemption of our bodies. We're already redeemed, but we are sealed for that day when our bodies will be redeemed. Our spirits have been sealed. And why is this important? Why is it important to know that we are sealed? Because if I, if I sin, I did not corrupt my born-again spirit. Now, some people are going to have an issue with some of this. Give me time. Let me Hear me out. If I fall, fail or fall, or if I mess up, I don't corrupt my born-again spirit. Or fall. And some people are going to have a real hard time with this because they don't understand spirits on body. And how is this true? Some of you are like, I agree with everything you said up to this point. Now I'm having a problem. See, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Peter said it this way. I, I, I quoted this before, but we have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. It's not corruptible. There's no corruption in it. And we're born not of our performance. We are born by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. How are we born again? We are born, whatever is born of spirit is spirit, and what is born of flesh is flesh. We are not, if we are a new creation, we are born of the spirit of God, not flesh. And there's no corruption in it. True righteousness and holiness is not based on what I do, but based on who I put on. I quote this already, but Ephesians 4, 20 and 21 says, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have learned, heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, colon, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Your old man grows corrupt, not your new man. And in the spirit of your mind, he's talking about your soul, your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, and true righteousness and holiness. I teach on this verse a lot. This truth that we are to learn, this truth that's in Jesus, colon, that we are to so learn, is that we put off the old man and we put on the new man. Where do we do that? Where do we make that exchange? Where do we put off the old man and the new mind? We do that in the spirit of our mind, our soul. I'm going to spend more time on this in the weeks to come. And which was created according to God. We're a new creation. We are created according to God. In true righteousness and holiness. Righteousness and holiness is not what you do. It's who you put on. Are you following me? There is no... Jesus is righteous. Jesus is holy. I've been born of his seed. His nature. And I have put him on. My old man is corrupting. But my new man is righteous and holy. It's truly righteous. If you are living righteously and holy, that's good. But your performance is not true righteousness and holiness. It's still got some holes in it. Okay. 
True righteousness, true holiness, is who you put on, who was created according to God. Now, I believe if we are put on Christ, if we're born of God, then we need to live like who we are. And I'm going to get there. Okay? Our spirits have been sealed. And if I were the sin, fell mess of our fall, it does not corrupt my born-again spirit. I am still righteous. I am still holy. My born-again spirit has not changed because of what I do. But how is this so? Because I'm born again of the incorruptible seed. So, let me ask some questions. So, are you, you're, you're, you're speaking to me, are you saying, Pastor Dave, it does not matter how we live? My answer to that is no. Are you preaching cheap grace, Pastor Dave? My answer to that is no. Titus says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying and ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. I am born of the incorruptible seed of God's word. I am dead to sin. I reckon myself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I have a new nature. And there's nothing that's not of God that can get into it. And there's nothing that's not of God that can come out of it. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by the faith of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am born again. I am born of God. My spirit is whole. Our spirits have been sealed. Our spirits have been born again. Our spirits have been made whole. And our minds, our thoughts, our will, our emotions are being renewed by the word of God and our by the word of God and our body is made whole. Our soul mind is being well made whole, but our mind body is whole. So if you are saved and think if you, me speaking to you now, if you are saved and think it doesn't matter how my life I think I said that, it doesn't matter how I live my life. If you don't, in other words, if you think that, and there's people who think believe this, they think that they can live their life any way they want to because they're saved, for you did not get that revelation from God. If you think I'm teaching, or if you believe on your own that it doesn't matter how you live because your spirit man is sealed and saved and born again and made whole, that it doesn't matter how you live your life, you did not get that revelation from God. It does matter how we live our life. Now, I seem like I'm contradicting myself. Okay? God did not seal me. He did not save me. He did not die on the cross for me and, re and, and reconcile with me in my spirit so I can ignore my soul and my mind. He said he, he, said he wanted to present me blameless spirit, soul, and body. He wants me whole spirit, soul, and body. My spirit is sealed, it's saved, it's born again, it's righteous, it's holy. But he did not seal me, he did not save me, so I can ignore the rest of my being and makeup. That's ludicrous. Lack of a better term, that's stupid. That's the spirit of Antichrist, that's not true. But now, when I mess up, I know I can run to him for help, not from him. And I'm being on my own. 
When you don't understand spiritual body, when you don't understand that you are right in the eyes of God, you will run from God instead of running to him. That's what Adam did. When Adam and Eve sinned, when God came walking in the garden, God did not forsake them. They forsook God. They were the ones who were hiding. God was between hide and seek. Adam hid. That's not the spirit of God. His spirit was dead. But when you know, even when you messed up on your worst day, that you can come boldly to His same throne of grace and receive mercy and help. You're not going to get help running from God. You're not going to get help hiding from God. You're not going to get help not going to church and being in the Word of God. You're going to get help when you are messed up and you made a fool of yourself. You made a mess. You run to God who can reconcile and fix the mess. But if you think God's angry at you, who is going to run to uh, someone who thinks they're going to judge him and stop him and, 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 and whatnot? But you know that he's full, he's full of mercy and love and grace to help you. There might be some correction. There might be some reproof. But he is there to help you. His goodness will lead you to repentance. Not drive you away doing it on your own. Okay? God will never leave you or forsake you. And this is called grace. This is called mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, and this is my favorite verse, most of you know, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteous God in him. The very next verse, chapter one, verse 1 and chapter 6, we then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Yes, he made you righteous by becoming sin for you. But don't take the grace of God. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Okay. Galatians 5.13, but the King James says, For rather ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion, to the flesh, but by love serve one another. I don't have it on the screen, but Galatians 5 16 says, Walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Our flesh for lustful things. And I'm not just talking about immoral things and sexual things, even though that's all true too. Our flesh lusts for gossip. It loves, our flesh will lust to be depressed. Our flesh will lust to be angry and get back and be revengeful. Our flesh will lust to be bitter at people. Our flesh will lust for a lot of things. We are free. We have been redeemed. We are made whole. But don't take that liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Just because our born-again spirits are not corrupted by sin does not mean sin won't corrupt us eventually. It's called a slow day. If you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you will reap corruption, not from God. If you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you will reap corruption. Paul talks about this in Galatians. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap life everlasting. Corruption, if you sow to the flesh, the corruption is not coming from God. It's coming from the seed that you're sowing in the wrong, in the wrong, in the wrong uh, field. We think God's judging. No, you just judge yourself. When you curse one another, 
God says, I'll curse those that curse you. I'll bless those that curse you. When you curse one another, especially in the family of God, you're just cursing yourself. When you do wrong to one another, you're doing wrong to yourself. It might not, you might, may not see it right away, but you, it will eventually catch up to you. It's not you doing it, it's God doing it, you did it to yourself. Okay? First Peter 3, 4 says, Rather, let it be the hidden per- Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. What am I trying to say here? Your born-again spirit is beautiful. Your born-again spirit is incorruptible. It's gentle. It is quiet. It's precious in the sight of God. If I sin, that's wrong. And if I sin, I need to do it. Especially if I sin against you or one another, we need to make it right. But it did not corrupt my spirit. I am still truly righteous and holy. Now, am I saying that we can't become a reprobate and, and reject God? Yes, we, if we're a mature believer and we continue down that path of sin and different things, we can, our hearts be, become distant and we can actually... <coughs> denounce our salvation. That's a whole other teaching. I'm not going to go into all that right now. It's not that yet, but it's in the path of getting there. It's dangerous territory. Like I said, it can eventually corrupt you in full throttle. But because I am truly righteous and holy, God expects me to live and act like who I am. The righteousness of God in me. Not so. God will love me. Not so I will go to heaven and not go to hell. And not so God will come back as if God left. But we do it because we know that we're loved, we're forgiven. We know his mercy. We know his goodness. We're not trying to get away with anything. We just need some help. We need some job training. We need some, we need a good spanking. You know, and that's good stuff. But we knowing too that we've been born again not a crustal seed, but a very crustal seed through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Philippians, we talked about this a great length of times past. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but in my before now, in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I've spoken this many times before. God puts salvation in all the blessings in us. We then work that salvation out. A major step towards maturity is to quit looking for salvation to come. And a major step is realizing that understanding salvation is already inside of us. God is inside of us working out that salvation. A major step towards maturity is to begin working out the salvation that is already inside of us. Everything you need to live godly, everything you need to live righteously and holy is already in you in seed form. It needs to be watered by the word. It needs to be nurtured by the word. It needs some sunlight, the sun, Jesus Christ, putting some sun on it. It needs some accountability and some uh, fellowship with the body of Christ that will also help with that process as well. But we already have salvation. Our spirit is born again. Our soul is still working in process. And we will get a new body one day. And we'll talk about 
our bodies even here until we get the redemption body. We'll talk about that more. But we already have wholeness. We have the first fruits of that. We have the first installment of that. We have our spirit man, our seed. The core us is born again. And understanding spirit, soul, and body is the beginning of revelation of how we are to live our lives. We're still talking about the benefits of salvation. We're still talking about wholeness. We uh, got a few more weeks still on the wholeness section. And then we're going to get into talking about healing and prosperity. And then on, on to a new, new series talking about the new covenant. Okay. Uh, so next week is Easter. And I believe everything I'm talking about really fits into Easter anyway. So I'm not going to have a special Easter service. This is what we're, we're talking about Easter right now. We've been talking about it for weeks. And we got a few more weeks ahead of us on all this. I hope this has been a blessing. Because I want us to understand that we have a great salvation. And God wants to make us whole. If we don't understand these things, we don't understand spirit of somebody, we're not going to be able to appropriate the salvation to the fullness that we already have. And I'm not teaching this so we can live in sin. I'm teaching this so we can live righteously and holy and we can be blessed and be a blessing to other people. So hopefully this has been a blessing to you. Hopefully I'm making sense uh, with this teaching. God bless you guys and we'll see you soon.